Good morning, I'm Joyce Tafala, a minister here. And this month's theme is playing with paradox. I really love that, the idea of playing with the inconsistencies of life. I mean, it can get crazy. It doesn't make sense. So we might as well just bring a sense of experimentation and playing to uh, this thing called paradox, this thing called inconsistencies, this thing called what the heck's wrong with that person. Anyhow, um, <laughs> last week, if you didn't hear Dr. Edwards' kickoff talk for the month, it was really good. I really appreciate it a lot. Do yourself a favor. You can find how to get to it via our website. I think you'll enjoy it. Today's topic, the first two words are getting comfortable. So let's just linger there for a moment. Why don't we all, whether you're sitting here in our sanctuary in Santa Rosa or you're joining us from some time, some when, why don't we each just take a moment and get comfortable? And it might be a good idea to note what you just did. Maybe you let your jaw relax or shook out your shoulders. Maybe you felt yourself get heavier in your chair, sinking into it, taking a deep breath. Maybe you imagined yourself lying in a hammock among trees, listening to waves. It's important to know how to get comfortable, especially in terms of the rest of the title today, which is Getting Comfortable with Discomfort. Boy, are we being called to do that these days, aren't we? I mean, unheard of weather events, a national political scene that uh, is not exactly encouraging. Uh, we've got, um, oh, Random acts of violence, just who knows when. And I ask you to pause just a moment and do a check. Are you still feeling comfortable? As Louise Hay told us, it's just a thought, and a thought can be changed. So me reading that list of uncomfortable things, you hearing it, perhaps having a mental reac re reaction, it's just a thought, and a thought can be changed. So let's just check back in and make sure we're comfortable. If anything's changed, just do what you can to shift it. It, you know, it's important, this is no small thing, it's important in the midst of discomfort to be able to get physically comfortable. You can do it anytime, anywhere, at some meeting, some person you're talking to you, you don't like. Just the ability to go inside and get physically comfortable has a good effect not only on you, but on other people around you. You know, as I was preparing today's talk, I realized that we all have some great things to say about how to get comfortable with discomfort. We've been through repeated wildfires, 
life disrupted, some of us in our community losing our homes. We've been through a pandemic together. We tend to forget about it, but it was months and months of fear and uncertainty and isolation. And this is all in addition to the everyday life stuff that can happen, like an unexpected diagnosis for oneself or somebody else, a loss of employment or grieving the passing of a close one. You probably already know quite a bit about how to stay comfortable in discomfort. So it would be interesting if we could share the mic and each of us giving our strategies, our, our best practices for how to get comfortable in discomfort. I know I have a range of ways for getting comfortable with discomfort. Some of them work better than others. For example, there's a whole set of ways that I've found, and perhaps you have too, of getting comfortable with discomfort by numbing the feeling of discomfort. Chocolate, <laughs> mashed potatoes or other comfort foods, alcohol, all designed to numb the discomfort. Regrettably, the problem with these that I've noticed, and perhaps you have too, is that they're a very temporary solution. I mean, there's only so much chocolate, so many mashed potatoes, so much alcohol a person can consume before the thing that seemed to be making us comfortable itself becomes a source of discomfort. So that raises the question, is there something more permanent, more reliable that we can turn to to help ourselves get comfortable with discomfort? Recently, I was taking a, a spiritual retreat. I was online, and we were all there focusing on our inherent, essential, eternal, divine being. And while I had the luxury of being in my home in Sonoma County, one of the participants was coming in online from her home in Ukraine where her town was under threat of attack. Of course, our hearts went out to her. All of us sympathized with her situation. But none of us, including the teacher, could actually empathize with her situation. None of us could know what it was like for her to be sitting in her living room in the middle of her life with disruption guaranteed and sudden death a real possibility. And even though I can't remember what was said during this retreat, I do remember what I witnessed. I witnessed her becoming more calm, more assured, more peaceful, more content, and more accepting of what was going on around her. It was as though she recognized that in spite of the circumstances, that fundamentally all is well. It was as though she knew that whatever happened, she would be all right. 
whether in her current physical form or somehow else. Wouldn't it be great to know that all the time? All is well. I am well. So let's take a look at our spiritual philosophy and toolbox to see if there is something in it to help us get comfortable with discomfort. First of all, the author of our spiritual philosophy, Ernest Holmes, made a stunning statement about what to do if there's something in your life that is not comfortable, you know, like a money issue or a health issue, one of those things. Holmes said, you've probably heard this before, Holmes said, turn away from the condition. And when I first heard that, I thought, what? Ignore the condition? Deny the condition? But that's not what he meant. He meant something like, don't focus on the problem, focus on the solution. He meant something like, don't focus on what you don't want, focus on what you do want. I remember when I was new here and I went to after-service prayer, and the practitioner would say, what would you like prayer for? So I'd say, well, I have this pain in my foot and I want it to go away. And the practitioner would say, what do you want prayer for? And I'd think, I just told you that. I don't get it. What, is, what does she mean? So after a few exchanges, I got it that what the practitioner was inviting me to do was not answer the question, what don't you want, but consider the question, what do you want? The path out of discomfort was not pain, pain, go away. The path out of discomfort was, I welcome comfort, ease, and healing in my foot. Putting our attention on being open to what we do want. That's why when you go to after-service prayer these days, so often the practitioner will ask you, what would you like to experience? Or here's something I learned from my practitioner friend Jennifer Mann. If I ask her for a prayer and start talking about all the things I don't want, she'll say, I understand what you don't want. What would you like instead of that? What would you like instead of that? Turn away from the condition. As some of you know, many years ago, I received a diagnosis of cancer. And uh, after the diagnosis, I did my due diligence and figured out the path forward with my allopathic Western medical team and with my alternative health care team. And I noticed, even after doing that due diligence and setting everything up, I nonetheless would sometimes obsess about how things were going in my body. Were things getting better? Were things getting worse? What was really going on in there? Then one day I realized, hey, wait a minute. You have a medical team and a healing team tracking how your body is doing. They will let you know if anything in your body needs attention. Let them do their job. 
you, I said to myself, you have other things to do that only you can do. Okay, what were those things? What was mine to do? Well, since they were in control of disease eradication, I could put my attention on creating an atmosphere of welcome for healing. I could do my personal spiritual practices. I could stay in touch with my spiritual community, have regular conversations with a prayer practitioner, be sure I was eating well and exercising, spend more time with close friends and family, make more time for doing the things that uplift me. Like in my case, going on walks in nature and doing music. In fact, since we're all here, having taken a moment out of our busy, busy lives, why don't we all just consider for a moment, what do I like to do that uplifts me? Well, as I was saying, it's a funny thing about this spiritual tool of asking the question, what is mine to do? I had to learn it again this week. You may have noticed that there are some legal proceedings happening on the national stage. And I began this week wanting to make sure that everything was going okay. And how did I make sure that everything was going okay? By scrolling my phone a lot, looking for news stories, looking for analyses, looking for opinions. Well, after a couple of days of this somewhat frantic scrolling, I noticed that my, uh, my level of agitation had increased and I noticed that I wasn't sleeping so well. So I, at one point, thought... Hmm, I wonder if there is a correlation between how much I'm frantically scrolling my phone and how agitated and sleepless I feel. Hmm. And then I realized what I learned so long ago, let the legal people do their work. It's not your work. You have other work to do that you can do. Put your attention on what is yours to do. And I realize that what is mine to do, and perhaps yours also, is to put our attention on the opposite of that stuff. Our attention is to our job is to put our attention on the opposite of that divisive conflict. Our job is to do what we can to reveal peace in our thinking, in our words, in our acts of kindness towards others. My job, our job, is to create an atmosphere of harmony both with our internal prayer, meditation, and thinking, and our external words and actions. 
And that's also along the lines of what Ernest meant when he invited us to take our attention off of what we don't want and place it on what we do want. Asking ourselves the question, in this discomfortable, uncomfortable situation, what is mine to do? If you heard my talk a couple weeks ago, it was September 24th, you may recall the image of the sky and the clouds. It's an image inspired by spiritual teacher Rupert Spira, and it applies to what we're talking about today. Today we can think of that blue sky, always present pervasive blue sky, as the underlying essential real divine peace that is always there. And the clouds are those things, things, honestly, they're mostly thoughts and perception. The, the clouds are those things that temporarily block our view of this fundamental state, this divine state of contentment, equilibrium, comfort, divine peace that is always present. Those clouds of discomfort can seem so real, but in fact, they're just temporary. And so we can ask ourselves, what is behind the clouds? In this situation, what is also here? What is the more that is here? What is behind the clouds? What is the nature of the permanent reality behind these passing uncomfortable things? And as we put our attention on that reality of peace and comfort, it also helps us do what we can to reveal more of it in the world. I came across another use of the image of the sky and clouds, and I wanted to share it with you. It comes from an article written by Ariana Kaiser Varnum. Now, if that name sounds familiar to you, you might think, hey, isn't that her daughter's name, Ariana Kaiser Varnum? And it is. And this is what she wrote in this article. When practicing meditation, we are encouraged to let our emotions and thoughts pass through our mind, simply observing them as they come and go. This is far easier said than done. But the most useful analogy I've heard to think is to think of my mind as the sky and my feelings as the weather. Like a storm, my feelings may dominate the entirety of my internal, internal horizon, but it's a moving front, not a permanent fixture. It may be scary in its force or seem all-encompassing, but the storm is, by its very nature, temporary, merely moving through. My feelings are not who I am at my core. They are, rather, 
my current experience, and experience changes. It always does. This comforting reassurance that nothing lasts forever is summed up by the words that come to mind every time I am facing emotional turmoil. Overused though it may be, I find much solace in the phrase, this too shall pass. My mother shared it with me when I was suffering some sort of adolescent heartbreak. It had been her mother's favorite phrase. And for me, just as it did after that early teen ordeal, it has proven true time and time again, as it did for my mother and for my mother's mother and countless other souls at countless other moments and countless other lifetimes. This too shall pass. No matter what it is, it will pass. We might not now know we might not know how or when, but we can rest assured that things will most definitely change. This too shall pass. Here's another phrase I've been working with to get comfortable with discomfort. This one's a little more challenging. Here it is. Nothing has gone wrong. In spite of temporary thoughts, feelings, or apparent circumstances, fundamentally, nothing has gone wrong. This is the logical conclusion from our teaching. Since spirit is good, and this good of spirit is expressing in, through, and as each of us, then what we must be expressing is good. Even something that seems to be a mistake is part of the process of revealing more good. This past week, someone I know who is very well steeped in our philosophy had a surprise medical thing happen and ended up in the hospital for a couple of days. I went to visit her, and as we were talking, I said, well, I don't know if it applies here, but according to our philosophy, nothing has gone wrong. And her face lit up. She smiled, her eyes opened, and she said, you're right, nothing has gone wrong. And just like what I saw happening with that woman in Ukraine, I don't know how my friend was able to step so quickly out of condition and back to the truth of spiritual reality. I don't know how she instantly parted the clouds to see the sky, but I witnessed her doing it. Here's something that helps me move the clouds to reveal the sky. It's actually something I mentioned in a talk last year. I bring it up because I have to remind myself of this. The ancient, as in thousands of years, the ancient tradition of Vedic astrology tells us that two years ago, 2021, two years ago, 
we emerged from one epoch into another. Now, these epochs are called in Sanskrit yugas, yuga, and they are 432 years long. So we have now left the 432-year-long Kali Yuga, which means Dark Age, and we have entered the new Sat Yuga, which means Golden Age. Imagine that. We made it. <laughs> We're out of the Dark Age and into the Golden Age. But as we look around our world, can we see any evidence that we are in the Golden Age? Can we see any evidence that the last vestiges of the Dark Age are being shuffled off? Well, let's think of those things I mentioned at the beginning of the talk. Yes, there are random acts of violence, and there's an ever increasing demand for it to stop and policy ideas for how to move in that direction. Yes, our national political scene looks chaotic and meanwhile there are ever-spreading grassroots movements supporting justice, equity, and a world that works for everyone. Yes, there are climate challenges, and there's also an ever-increasing amount of creative climate solutions. So maybe, just maybe, it is true that we really do live in a spiritual universe that is for us. And maybe, just maybe, as we remember this, we can remain a bit more comfortable within ourselves, no matter what discomfort is going on around us. As a step in that direction, Chris Fritchie and I would like to close by once again inviting you to get comfortable where you are perhaps letting your eyes close, perhaps noticing how your breath can help you relax. And just for a moment, let's bring to mind something in life which seems to have the potential for making us uncomfortable. Maybe it's a personal issue, a national, global issue, doesn't matter. And just for a moment, we remember that this situation is temporary, that this too shall pass. And just for a moment, we remember that in addition to this situation, there is something more, there's something good also present here. There is sky behind the cloud, a sky of divine equanimity of comfort, of contentment, of divine peace. And just for a moment, we touch in on that peace.
remembering that we live in a spiritual universe, a divine reality that is for us. We turn our attention away from what we don't want in this situation and put our attention on what we do want. We ask ourselves, what do I want? What is the highest good for me and everyone else in this situation? And now we each simply ask, what can I do to reveal more peace in this situation? What is mine to do? And finally, we ask ourselves, what words or picture can I use to help myself stay at peace? To remember that the peace of spirit is here and that only good is unfolding. What can I say to myself? And so it is.